have to admit, as a child, I was pretty impressed with Mr. Rogers. I, um, I remember distinctly having the thought that, um, man, this guy is dedicated to kids because he works a job all day. And then he comes home to his own living room, changes his clothes a little bit. It didn't look all that comfy to me, but, you know, changes his clothes and then spends half an hour with me every day. It's just amazing that he would do that. I was pretty impressed. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, anybody ever, you, you remember the whole, okay, good. So some of you I'm informing, but most of you are tracking with me. All right, good. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was on public television for 33 years. 33 years of changing into a sweater, singing songs, encouraging kids. And it wasn't so much that what Mr. Rogers did was anything all wild and crazy and extraordinary, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was good, it was solid, it was, uh, it showed that he genuinely cared, but, but the, the magic of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood wasn't flashy technology or a complex, uh, plot or wild and crazy stunts that so many other kids' shows had during those 33 years. Uh, the, the magic of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was his faithfulness. Mr. Rogers kept showing up, day in and day out, Year in and year out, he was a consistent presence in the lives of children for 33 years. On this uh, Mother's Day, we want to honor mothers. We want to uh, thank our moms, as as we've already talked about today. We we, we think about all the good things that, that that moms have done, and usually at some point uh, in uh, in the church service on Mother's Day, we have to give the obligatory nod to the quote Proverbs 31 woman, right? Maybe you know who that is. Maybe you don't. Uh, she is the gold standard of motherhood. Um, uh, maybe you've read... Uh, so that we're all on the same page, I'd just like to read through that passage in Proverbs 31. Uh, it's in verses t- uh, 10 through 31. Uh, and just to just kind of lay the groundwork for us. A wife of, wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night in her hands. She holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor, extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done. Let her works bring her praise at the city 
gate. That is a, a, an awesome passage describing a virtuous woman, but I think, and maybe I'm just guessing here, but uh, perhaps some mothers, maybe even mothers here, just might be thinking, well, I don't do all of that. I've never considered a field and bought it. Some of you probably have. Uh, maybe you have not saved up your money to plant a vineyard. I'm not sure. Some of you maybe have. I don't know if you've ever held a distaff or grasped a spindle. Some of you maybe have. And I'm guessing that you might be thinking, I've been known from time to time to eat the bread of idleness. I don't know. Um, I, I have, maybe, but... I mean, this woman was remarkable. She's extraordinary. And, and uh, I, I think that the, even as we highlight, though, the wonderful things that this wife of noble character has done, I think it also highlights, perhaps, deep down in our hearts, if we're really honest with ourselves, it highlights the fact that we don't necessarily live up to all that stuff. And I don't say that to be discouraging today, but instead to let you know that a life lived for God, a righteous life, whether as a as a mother on Mother's Day or for any one of us, a righteous life, a life lived for God is less about doing the extraordinary and it's more about being faithful day in and day out, year in and year. It's about consistency. Many times we, we want to live these uh, amazing, flashy, make an impact kind of lives. And so we look for something amazing and flashy to do. Instead, extraordinary lives are usually lived by people who do good, solid, ordinary things over and over and over. They, they keep showing up. And usually, it doesn't just happen right away. It takes a long time. Great results usually take a long time. I mean, most good things, if you do them once or twice, uh, they don't really have much effect. I think about exercise. If you wanted to to get into shape, uh, if you said, okay, I'm going to get into shape, I'm going to go work out tomorrow, and you did that, and then you didn't work out, work out again for six months, just working out tomorrow once, probably not going to have a whole lot of, I'm sorry to break it to you. Not a whole lot of long-term impact. It would take you working out tomorrow and then maybe the next day, maybe several days over the course of 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 a week and then several weeks and several months and putting all that together and and it would aim you toward that goal of physical fitness or dieting. Uh, I know we're giving you chocolate, so we can't talk about dieting on Mother's Day, right? But um, just eating one salad... And then going back to your own, uh, your, your, your old ways of, of eating. It's not much of a, much of a diet plan. Uh, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference to just do it once. But over and over and over again and changing habits and patterns, that's where it really has an impact. I think about the realm of spiritual disciplines. It doesn't have, okay, maybe, Maybe I'm just admitting something here and, and you'll be incredulous that the pastor said, but just going this afternoon and reading the Bible, once, and then kind of putting it away for the next three months, it's not going to have a whole lot of long, long-term long impact on your life. Just, just uh, it, I'm not saying it's going to be bad. Uh, it certainly would be good, but, but, but it's, it's not going to have this long-term effect. Just doing something once, even if it's a, a good thing, uh, especially if it's a good thing, but just doing it once uh, doesn't have much, if any, long-term effect on our lives. But, but if we keep showing up day after day, that's when results move shift from ordinary to extraordinary. Many times, extraordinary happens just from doing the ordinary over and over and over again. It takes time, faithfulness, 
consistency. We don't like things to take a long time, though, do we? I mean, we'd, we'd like a magic formula. We'd like the silver bullet. We want to take a pill and make things uh, all better again. And, 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 and by the way, Jesus, get me back in the saddle by lunchtime, if you please. If we could name a movie title for, uh, that describes the American lifestyle today, it might just be The Fast and the Furious. Um, not so much for the sports cars, uh, but for the lifestyle. Uh, speeding from one thing to the next to the next without a whole lot of time for a decent plot. I mean, a whole lot of time uh, to... Just kidding. I haven't even seen any of them. I'm just saying. That's just probably why. But uh, we're addicted to the immediate. Uh, we're allergic to being bored. And so we want things to move fast, and we're just boom, 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 boom. Uh, Eugene Peterson uh, wrote these words. One aspect of our world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. And that hits me right between the eyes, and maybe some of you too. I, I, I want to be as efficient as possible, and I want to cram the most that I can into life. And I, and I think that comes from a noble place. I, I think that comes from uh, not only that I'm retentive and want everything to, to, to work out that way, but, but also because I want to be a good steward with the time that I have, right? And so I want to get as much in as I can. And so I commit to more things and, and do them faster and hopefully more, uh, more efficiently and... and uh, 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 I heard about a, a gas station that had a little thing up on their reader board sign that said, we help you move faster. And that sounds like a great thing. That's something that we want. But maybe we should stop and think, should we be moving faster? John Ortberg, uh, pastor and author in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, calls attention to the, a term co- uh, coined by Lewis Grant. Uh, the, the term is sunset fatigue. Uh, he says it's, quote, when we come home at the end of the day and the people who need our love the most, to whom we're most committed, end up getting the leftovers. Sunset fatigue is when we are just too tired or too drained or too preoccupied to love the people to whom we have made the deepest promises. Ugh. When I read that term sunset fatigue, I, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a time many years ago we were living in the great state of Kansas um, and the kids were, I think, high chair age, both of them, and uh, we were rushing around for, uh, for dinner one night. I'm sure I had a meeting or something I had to run to at church uh, after dinner and so uh, kids in high chairs and, and trying to get food on the table and, and all of that and so we had, uh, we had our, our kitchen table uh, sat right at a big picture window of sorts that looked out over the backyard and beyond. And uh, so from, from Claire's seat, sorry Claire, I'm telling the story on you, but that's all right. Um, it's a good one, I promise. Claire's seat, she's sitting there and daddy, daddy, daddy. And you know, maybe it's just you, but there are times when uh, I'm in such a rush and trying to get stuff done that I don't hear the daddy, daddy, daddy. And, and if this was one of those times and find daddy, daddy. And she, she points out to the, the window, uh, looking out over the backyard and beyond. And she says, daddy, look at the sunset Jesus painted for us. Literally said that right between the eyes to me. Ugh. From the mouths of babes, right? 
sunset fatigue for me is, uh, is, is bringing that moment back. That I'm so busy doing the boom, 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 that I miss out on enjoying what Jesus has painted for me. Enjoying the, the, the people to whom I have made the deepest promises. The people God has called me to love the most. Theologian, professor, and author Dallas Willard, when asked to do uh, what to do to live a healthy spiritual life, uh, gave this advice, and only this advice. He said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It was actually uh, John Ortberg who was asking uh, Dallas Willard, uh, what do I do? And he's sitting there ready to take notes. What do I do? To do uh, and, and waiting for Dallas Willard to give him all these things. And, and he said, okay, what's next? <laughs> and Willard says, that is it. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I think we think that our lives have to be flashing, flashy and exciting and famous and to be noteworthy and to make a difference. I wonder if Friedrich Nietzsche had it right when he said these words. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there would be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth Living. Now, I don't quote Nietzsche in order for you to think that I sit around le- reading dead philosophers. Um, that was quoted in another book. Um, just so you know, it's quoted in Eugene Peterson's book by that, t- taking a phrase from Nietzsche. Uh, the d- book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I mean, I think you could just sit and think about and dwell on and meditate on that phrase for a long time. Peterson's book is is based on the the a section in the Psalms that the Jewish folks used to used to sing as they're traveling along the road. These pilgrims traveling from all over Israel, heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. God had called them every year to meet in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover when when He had intervened in their lives and and made all the difference. And so they're traveling along in these caravans and families together, and and they begin uh, they would they would sing these songs that it literally for generation after generation after generation singing these same songs as they headed down the road and up the hill to the holy city, Jerusalem. It was a long obedience in the same direction, year after year, generation after generation. And I think that same phrase should be applied to our lives, uh, all of us, uh, maybe especially on Mother's Day, uh, but, but really to all of us. The really extraordinary things happen as we are living day after day after day with Jesus, showing up, following him year after year, doing the long run, doing good, solid, ordinary things, uh, faithful to God and faithful to those around us over and over and over over and over and over again. There are many, uh, many examples in, in, in Scripture of that, um, and I think that we don't consider the amount of time things took in, uh, in the Bible. I mean, we, we might read about Moses, who uh, spent 40 years uh, after he ran away from Egypt before God called him back to rescue the Israel. Forty years, not 40 minutes, not 40 days, 40 years living on the backside of the wilderness, watching sheep, hanging out with his in-laws, present company excluded, of course. 
40 years. Uh, maybe you think about Abraham, who was literally, God promised uh, him a son, Isaac, and, and literally Isaac did not come until Abraham was 100 years old. Uh, or or jo- uh, Joseph. Um, Joseph was uh, was falsely accused. He was put in jail, uh, and someone offered to help him, but then forgot. And two years—that's ah, just two years compared to to forty. That's but two years. Okay, we we uh, <laughs> we don't we don't pray about uh, we we don't necessarily wait on. We don't have the habit of waiting on God. A long obedience in that direction. <laughs> We want God to answer, and we want him to provide before we get to the amen, usually. A long obedience is a foreign concept. One great example of, of this long obedience mindset is, is found in the life of Samuel in the Old Testament. Maybe you know who Samuel is. Maybe I'm going to be telling you something that's great. Uh, Samuel, he's a pretty big influence in, uh, in Israel during his lifetime. There's two books in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Uh, and, uh, and I think we can catch a glimpse today of, uh, of how God would have us to live as we pull back, back the curtain just a little bit on Samuel's life. Uh, first off, you need to know that, that Samuel's life started out a little bit differently than most of us. Um, Samuel's uh, parents actually dropped him off at the temple and left him there so that he could be dedicated for God's use and, and grow up there in the temple. Now, mothers, thank you for not taking that literally when we do baby dedications around here. I mean, we'll pray for them. We're not going to raise them. <laughs> um, that's not how it worked with Samuel. Uh, Samuel's mother uh, had had promised God that if he blessed her with a son, then uh, then she would dedicate him back to to uh, to God for his use. And so, when Samuel's barely old enough, uh, she drops him off with Eli, the elderly priest there at the temple, and and was actually raised doing the work uh, in the temple. And you maybe you recall the story, maybe you don't. But uh, uh, Samuel's a, a young boy in the temple, and and he hears somebody calling to him, t- saying his name, uh, and and uh, and and. And he thinks it's Eli uh, talking to him, and so he goes three different times. He goes to Eli, and finally Eli says, "Oh, I bet it's I bet it's God talking to this kid." And and so he tells Samuel, "Maybe you've heard the even if you don't know the story, maybe you've heard these words: Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." That's what uh, that's what uh, Eli told Samuel to say when he heard his name called again. And there's a whole sermon in that uh, right there on listening to the to the voice of God, that's for another day. But uh, but Samuel heard God that night and he gave a message to Eli the next day and and just a few verses later then, we at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 3, we have these words. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Isn't that cool? Well, <laughs> What God told Samuel, Samuel told the people and and uh, and, and he was faithful to do what God told him to do. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word and Samuel's word came to all Israel. So that's great. Samuel keeps hearing from God and he tells the people what uh, what he hears from God and that's a, a continuing process. And then we, if you flip through 1 Samuel, you realize that we don't hear anything again uh, mentioning Samuel for four more chapters. 
We, we catch up to Samuel as he's leading the people uh, in in uh, in chapter 7 then. Uh, he's he's le- leading the people in a revival of sorts. They're finally coming around and coming back to God. And, and uh, Samuel's probably in his early 30s. So we don't know how old he was when when uh, when chapter 3, but it, it said he grew up. And so now we've got from like age 8 to age 30, and we don't know a whole lot except he's hearing from God and he's telling the people, and he's hearing from God and he's telling the people, and he's hearing from God and he's telling the people. And, and then we finally see that that he's uh, some of it's having some good, and there, there there's this revival happening. There's this little story in, in chapter 7 about God subduing Israel's an- enemies as they followed Samuel's leadership. And then at the, the end of chapter 7, there's this. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. Kind of obscure set of verses. But that's it. I mean, chapter 8, verse 1 starts with, when Samuel grew old. So we got Samuel probably around 30, and he's helping out uh, with the, with this little revival thing. And then we've got uh, verse 15 in, se- in 1 Samuel 7. Samuel continued to be Israel's leader all the days of his life. When he grew old... And then there's a couple of accounts. Uh, if you've if you've read Samuel, I w- if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do it. Some some cool uh, action packed uh, stuff there. Uh, he's, he's as he's an old man, he's anointing kings, and and uh, and then he he uh, seeing God work through through that whole process, and and then uh, he dies uh, before the book of First Samuel is even before First Samuel is even up. Samuel's already dead. It's kind of kind of crazy that way. And 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 the last we see of him, King Saul is actually reaching out to Samuel's spirit beyond the grave through a witch. I mean, I'm telling you, this is crazy, crazy stuff. Good, good read. If you haven't read First and Second Samuel, grab it. Do it. So there's some crazy stuff at the end of Samuel's life, but for the vast majority of Samuel's life, this great priest and prophet and judge spent his time traveling a circuit between relatively four relatively close cities in central Israel, preaching and sacrificing and helping to solve people's problems, judging Israel. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Year after year after year after year. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. It, it wouldn't have been in looking at the, 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 the old timey maps, uh, that, uh, that, that, that I looked at this week. It looks like it probably wasn't more of a, more than maybe 60 mile round trip. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Uh, Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, to Samuel kept showing up his whole life. A long obedience in the same direction. He was doing the circuit that God had called him to do. And he was faithful. He was consistent. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah. Year after year after year. He was doing the circuit. What is your circuit that God has called you to show up to time after time after? What are you called uh, to, to, to do day after day, uh, month after month, year after year? Uh, a pastor by the name of Jeff Mannion from Ada Bible Church, uh, he calls this concept holy redundancy. <laughs> Sometimes we want it to be this big flashy whoopoo, you know? 
It's holy redundancy. What is that? What is it that God is calling you to be faithful in that could be life-giving for the people around you? This holy redundancy. I guess it could be some of those disciplines that I mentioned earlier, like diet and exercise, and incorporating those uh, those habits into your life uh, uh, could keep you healthy and and be a positive influence on the people around you. We could we could look at it in 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 that vein. Of course, I would would talk to you about uh, spiritual disciplines and and drawing you toward those circuits of those habits in your life that you're you're always. Uh, uh, Walking through those those habits, uh, reading the Bible, praying, uh, other spiritual disciplines, fasting, meditating, silence, solitude, uh, many many things. Uh, uh, coming to a church, attending, a, uh, and being involved in a in a life group, all of those things. Uh, what is it that you're doing uh, over uh, over time? Uh, investing yourself in those habits uh, change your character, and you'll see as we've been talking about. You'll see Jesus in the mirror as He transforms uh, your character. You'll see what he's doing uh, in and through your life. And that will impact the people around you. It's a long obedience following Jesus, heading in his direction. One thing that came to mind uh, in this whole idea of circuits and, and being faithful uh, it was, is, is the issue of, of generosity. I mean, we tend to, to give these days uh, out of emotion. We see the, uh, the all the dogs starving on TV in late night, and and we oh, and we feel bad. And and Sarah McLaughlin or whoever singing that haunting song, and it haunts our dreams. And we get up and text twenty bucks, and you know, I've never done that. I promise. Sorry, maybe I should. Sorry, maybe a long obedience every night, twenty dollars. What if our generosity was a circuit in our lives that we kept coming back to faithfully? The, the, the wonderful mathematics of God is that if we are faithful to the circuit that he has set up, there will always be more than enough. Uh, so, so we give, and as we give, we worship him. And, and as we do that, we trust him with the results. And so we give, and we worship, and we trust. And we give, and we worship, and we trust. And over time, uh, it, it's amazing to think about. I think it's mind-blowing to think about uh, the what God could do with the amazing faithfulness of his people as they walk through that process of giving and worshiping and trusting and giving and worshiping and trusting. If everyone was in that circuit, think about the church, the body of Christ, there are about two, uh, two billion people around the world. If we were all in the process of ge- the generosity of giving through worship and trusting God with the result, it's not flashy, but over time, the ordinary, what seems like the ordinary becomes Extraordinary. Your circuit could be how you serve, uh, how you how you spend your time, maybe serving in the church or serving in in, in your community. Uh, we could ask the question: How is God using me to help the people around me? Uh, it's not for personal gain, but but simply because they're there and you can help, and and uh, and so you're going to do that. I, I think motherhood falls directly into that category. We're serving the people that God has placed in our lives, and as He calls us, at, and sometimes it doesn't feel like anything flashy or extravagant, or extraordinary. Sometimes it feels boring. Well, no, maybe not boring. Maybe sometimes it's not exciting. But we keep showing up. Or we serve in the church, or we serve in the community. We we keep showing up in people's lives. We keep doing the things that God has called us to do in order to make a difference in the world where he's placed us. 
I've been in ministry, next month will be 26 years. I know, I don't look that old. I'm, I thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, just kidding. For the past 15 and a half years, I've been right here serving as pastor of, uh, of this church. And it's, it, that, that in itself, I guess, is kind of out of the ordinary. Uh, the average length of time for a pastor to stay at any church uh, is, is probably five or six years, if you take the statistics across the board. So that means I'm above average. <laughs> and some of you wish I was average. Should be on my fourth church by now, right? God forbid. Um, I think one reason that, that, that pastors move on uh, could be the weekly sermon preparation. Uh, I, I mean, I think some of them get up five years of, of sermons, and then they move to the next church and then just re-preach the whole batch, right? And then they're done with those five years, and they re-preach it again. And then, you know, by the end, you know, they've, they've been in ministry for 50 years, but they've, all, they've preached the same sermons 10 times. So I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm sure that never happens. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that. I, I have heard uh, uh, preaching described this way, that it's like getting up on Sunday morning and delivering a baby and then waking up Monday morning pregnant. I don't know what that feels like, um, but every Monday I come, come into the office and I start the process aimed toward these minutes right here. And at some point, I've, uh, uh, I've spent out, I've spent extended time kind of planning out. I've got a schedule for the whole year and, and what series comes here and there. And it's, it's, it's loosely coordinated. And, but so when I come in Monday morning, I'm not starting from scratch. I kind of know where I'm heading, but, but, uh, then I begin to, uh, uh, to, to pray and to read and to, and to study. Uh, I might, uh, you know, watch, uh, uh, watch some videos or, or listen to preachers or podcasts or look at, uh, all those types of things. I've got all those books on my computer and on the, uh, on the, in my office, and, I, and, and I'll spend that time and focus on these minutes that we have together. And by Tuesday afternoon, things are coming together. Uh, I'm just pulling back the curtain. I'm just letting you know how this magic happens. Uh, but <laughs> um, Tuesday afternoon, things are, things are coming together, but it better be uh, pretty much uh, set by Wednesday afternoon because I'm off on Thursdays and Shirley's coming in Friday morning to put all the big stuff up on the Jumbotron. And if I'm not ready, whew, you know, just kidding, Shirley. She's very kind. Every week, week in and week out, Monday morning. A conservative estimate, I, I did some calculations this week, a conservative estimate would be that I, I believe I've preached uh, almost 700 times in 26 years of ministry, um, most of them right here. Sermon preparation, I guess, is one example of a circuit in my life as I'm faithful to the calling of God on my life. I have to be honest, um, some weeks are easier than others. Some Mondays are rough, just like they are for you. I'm not exempt to that. Sometimes I have to fight my way through it. Sometimes I can't find just the right phrasing or I can't find illustrations that, that, that really hit the spot. Uh, um, sometimes it's just not there. Uh, you can probably tell me what the, when those times have happened. But I push through because I believe that that is part of the calling of God on my life. And I believe that if I'm faithful to that call, it just might make a difference in someone's life. Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah to Ramah, over and over 
and over and over. A long obedience in the same direction. Samuel's circuit had two elements to it that I think are important. Probably a lot, but, but two things that I think were vitally important that, that, that we can pull into our lives today. Samuel followed God's call on his life. It wasn't his own thing. I'm going to go do this. It was God's call on his life. And Samuel was investing in the lives of other people. It wasn't uh, this, this, own, this thing for himself. I think that fits into the circuit of motherhood. God has blessed you with the calling And as you are faithful to that call day in and day out, week in and week out, good things happen in the lives of the people in your life. I know you're not perfect. I know that some days are difficult and you might just drop the ball and and there's spilled milk and sharp words and maybe frustration and stress, but not every day and and not most days. And, And you keep showing up. You are faithful to the call. And the people around you are better for it. It usually works that way. When you keep showing up, good things happen. When you keep showing up, you're bringing life to other people. It's not all that flashy. Uh, it's just that you're there. And you care. You're consistent. And you're faithful. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Over and over and over again. Mothers, thank you for your faithfulness. It's not necessarily flashy or flamboyant, but it's what your families have needed and continue to need. And so thank you for showing up. And not just for the mothers among us, but hopefully all of us can recognize that in many aspects of our lives, we all need the reminder to be faithful, to keep showing up, to consistently follow God's call on our lives in order to make an eternal difference in the lives of the people around us. Father God, I pray that, uh, that as we walk out from here and no doubt celebrate the mothers in our lives, thinking about their, uh, their legacy that they've, uh, they've graced us with, celebrating them today. Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that not only those mothers, but all of us, we can recognize the circuits that you would have us to follow. Maybe nothing flashy or flamboyant or extravagant. It doesn't even seem extraordinary. But Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to live faithful, maybe ordinary lives that you will make extraordinary as we remain faithful to you. Father God, I thank you for, for your presence here and I thank you for, thankful for what you are going to do uh, through our lives this week. I'm thankful for the, the people that you're going to bring us to and the conversations that we're going to have and the, the invitations that we're going to extend and, and, and literally uh, the, the times when we sense your leading and we step into it. Lord, I pray that, that as we go from here, we can go with the joyful anticipation of your faithfulness in our lives. And we promise to be faithful to your call as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.